time. Holy, 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 I want you to Heavenly Father, the Lord of the universe, the God of creation. Father, we're reminded this morning that we are small, that you are big. We're reminded this morning that you are trustworthy throughout our lives, throughout the generations before us. And we have come this morning from all different places all different expectations. So Father, we come and we open our hands. We let go of the grip that we have, that we think we have. And we open our hands and our hearts and our futures and our money and our family and our community and our church. We open our hands will you talk to him right now will you tell him why you're here father we live in a fast world pause to open our hearts and our eyes and our hands and our hearts and our wills to yours will you be glorified today in all that we do and say and we ask this all in the mighty name of Jesus Christ who we're trying to follow and we all said amen you take time Greet each other, be nice to each other, smile.
takes away. I don't know about you, but that is not a fun thought. Because we want what we want. Amen? You can be seated. His name is Yahweh. His name is Elohim. His name is El Shaddai. His name is El Roy. I don't know what any of those mean. I do know what El Roy means. It means that he is a God that sees you. He sees us. And somehow that's good news. That we are not invisible to him. 
Psalm 139 says, O Lord, Yahweh, you have examined, and I'm going to read this in the plural, you have examined our heart, and you know everything about us. You know when we sit and stand in church. You know our thoughts even when we are far away from Him. When we cut ourselves off from Him, He still knows our thoughts. You see us when we travel and and when we rest at home. You see us on time saving, daylight savings, whatever it is. You know everything we do. You know when we are going to, what we're going to say, even before we say it. Lord, pay attention. You go before us. You go before us. And you follow us. You place your hand of blessing on our head. Such knowledge, such perspective is too wonderful for us. Too great for us to understand that Almighty God cares about us in this little mountain town. And I'm going to ask you this morning to lay down your plan, to lay down your expectations, to be open to His will, His desire for us, His people. Will you wait for Him?
waiting with our hands open, our hearts open. Okay, I'll fess up. It's hard for me all the time. Anybody else? Yeah. But it's a sweet, sweet spot to be. Because when we're waiting, what does that mean? God's doing something, right? So generally, I always kind of picture it. The 
when I'm waiting, he's over here working on something. And he's over here working on something. And when he brings all those things together, then my waiting's done. But if I push him too hard, he'll say, okay, Lori, all right, you go ahead and do your thing. I'm still going to work over here. And then I get impatient and frustrated because I didn't wait on it. Anybody else do that? Am I? Oh, good. I'm not alone. <laughs> it's a hard place to be. But the good thing about that is when I am waiting, no matter what I'm waiting on, Jesus is always there. Even though he's over here working and over there working, he's still there. He's still here with me, with us. And he always, always comes through. There's not one time ever in my entire life he has failed me. It may not have been what I wanted, but his plan turned out to be way better than what mine was. So when I let it go and I let him take control of it and I saw that he was there, oh, I just took a deep breath. I was like, you know what? You've got this, Jesus. I know you have this. You're with me. You're never going to let me down. I'll let myself down because I get in his way. But man, when I just sit there and I wait with him, it's a sweet, sweet spot. And it's kind of exciting because I know he's doing something. So when I can focus on that side, then I start getting excited. I'm like, okay, we're waiting. This is good. We're going we're to get there. So it's just a wonderful place to be. The next song we've done with you one time, and it talks about when Jesus was there, that he's there with us in the waiting. He's here with us now. Every time I tried to make it on my own. Every time. Every time I tried to stand and start to fall. All those lonely roads that I In the heat. 
shadows of the atmosphere.
you're sitting there waiting for us. Lord, we're so grateful for that. I thank you for each person in this room today, Lord. And I lift them up to your throne. Lord, you know right where they're at. You know their praises. You know their requests. And Lord, I ask you to move in their hearts today so that they know your voice. I pray that they'll understand that you are moving on their behalf. That they can come to you happy like a child just running to your arms, Lord, and they can come to you just to rest, too. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the offering that we're getting ready to give you today, and I pray, Lord, that you'll bless it. Be with Pastor Tim as he brings the message, Lord. I pray that you'll anoint him and that you will give him a direct word from you, and I pray that you'll move in our hearts and grow us so we're going to be different when we leave here. Thank you, Father, for meeting us, and we love you in Jesus' name. Ushers, if you want to come down, we'll go ahead and do the offering. And just to let everyone know, we are um, canceling the volunteer meeting or training today for the children because Mackenzie is sick. So if you'd pray for her, she has a stomach flu, and we will reschedule it and we'll let you know when. And then we're going to watch a video. since we got the news of the pastoral change. Um, it came up at a board meeting and uh, we were shocked as I suppose everybody else was. And we immediately had a bunch of questions. Our district superintendent, Dave Ralph was there and he suggested for the time being, uh, we spend uh, our time focusing on a loving farewell to the Troxels and that uh, the questions that we had would be addressed. We've got a lot of work to do, we'll get to it, but let's make sure we send Pastor Brian and Sarah off with love. So that's been our focus up until now. Now we're gonna get busy. We've got a board meeting Wednesday night and things will start moving forward probably quickly. Our goal is to keep the whole congregation updated and the uh, format of that update is still being sorted out uh, could involve town hall meeting type things. We're, we're not sure. So thank you, and um, we just look forward to what God has in store for Woodland Life Center. Well, good morning. Good morning. I'm praying this morning that what I'm seeing is the result of daylight savings time. Not just that I'm here, but daylight savings time. You see on the uh, screen, I think now, the members of the board, and if you have questions about the process, I encourage you to talk to them, corner them, ask them your questions. They'll be happy to answer them to the best of their 
ability. A few weeks ago, Jane and I had a uh, dental appointment. And it was one of those where we had uh, back-to-back appointments. We were going to see the dentist, and when we got there, we discovered, as uh, you may have as well, that there are those occasions when you have a brand new doctor or a brand new dentist, you walk in, you let them know that you're there, you check in, and the first thing they do for you is hand you a clipboard, and that clipboard has what looks like a ream of paper on it, and you're supposed to fill that out. If you would, please sit down, fill out this information, and bring it back to the desk, And then we'll make sure that you get in to see the doctor. Well, we took that clipboard and we went over and we sat down and uh, began to fill it out. And as we did so, we realized that we were sitting in the waiting room. And every time I hear that phrase, waiting room, I'm reminded of the 27th Psalm, verses 13 through 14 where it says, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. We were in the waiting room. That's not necessarily an original thought with me. I was... I was watching Seinfeld one night. And Seinfeld always used to do that little opening thing where it was like he was a stand-up comedian. And he talked about the waiting room. And I thought, well, it's not an original idea after all. But we've all been there. We've all been in a situation, not unlike this one, where we've been sitting in the waiting room. And most waiting rooms are the same. There are a few chairs. There's a table with some outdated magazines on it. And we thumb through those trying to find an article that we think would be interesting. We can't find one, but we continue to look at the pictures and think about how we wish we'd have brought our own magazines this time. There's usually a television in the waiting room somewhere. I remember when I was a young pastor and I would go and wait on someone in the hospital, there would be one of those TVs. Now, some of you aren't going to understand what I'm talking about, but it was one of those old box televisions. It was about this tall and this wide and about this deep, and it weighed about 400 pounds. And it was over there on a table in the corner. And you'd watch it in the waiting room, and these days, if you go into a waiting room, it's... There's usually something on the television like Oprah or um, Dr. Phil or uh, The View. Oh, Lord, protect me from The View. Oh, but then in those old days with that old TV, do any of you remember when you had a television set that had horizontal hold and the picture would go like this? And you would go up and find the particular tuning knob and you would turn that thing until the picture would come back and it would be, oh, it, would, it, it, it looked pretty good. 
Maybe there was the vertical, horizontal hold, vertical hold. Then there was the horizontal hold, and the picture would start to roll. And you try to adjust that. These new TVs, they don't have that. You can't adjust the horizontal hold or the vertical hold because you don't need to. But you're in a room, and it's designed for people to come and sit and wait. That's all it's for. Can you imagine being an architect? You went through all of those years of school to learn how to be an architect, and they want you to design a waiting room. Nah, just make it kind of a box and put some chairs in there and let people sit there. I, I, I'm pretty patient normally. Traffic up here is beginning to bother me, especially in the summer. I don't know why they don't work those stoplights so that they're all green at the same time and you just go. We drove up last night. We drove back up here from our daughter's house in Parker. And we drove through the gap on I-25. Have any of you driven the gap lately? You realize, have you had that experience where you're driving the gap? And all of a sudden, traffic comes to a stop. It's halt. You're in a parking lot. And you're trying to look. Guys, you know you do this. You're trying to look out around, up there. There must be some flashing lights up there somewhere that would give me an idea of what in the world we're stopped for. And then almost miraculously, it's like it breaks loose. And you take off, and you get up there somewhere, and you can't see. There's no reason. You can't figure out why in the world was I stopped back there. I tell you, I, uh, I get tired of that. There are other kinds of waiting. Waiting for the right job, or waiting for the right spouse, or waiting for your spouse to become the person you think they should be, or waiting for the cookies to come out of the oven, or waiting for that program to download on your computer or on your iPad. Do you remember how patient we used to be? And now, when I've got something that's supposed to be downloading on my iPad, it's like, come on. What's the hold up here? Must be something wrong with my Wi-Fi. Have you ever realized that some situations in life are God's waiting room? There are places along this journey where God seems to say, wait here. And what seems like it could have been taken care of in 10 minutes suddenly takes 10 weeks or, or 10 months. We sit here this morning, a group of believers. We believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He rose from the grave, that He lives today. We believe that He wants to enter into our life, that He wants to make some changes in us. But we sometimes forget that after that moment, that 
conversion, that moment of accepting Christ, that moment of repentance, that moment of forgiveness. That we're not automatically transformed. The Bible says we're a new creature, but it doesn't necessarily say that all of that happens overnight. There's a lot of growing to do, and a lot of that growing in this process of becoming all He wants us to be, a lot of that involves waiting. And the Bible provides a lot of instances of people who waited and waited and waited waiting for God waiting for God's next move now, Moses would be a good example here was a guy who was going to become the leader of the known world and for 40 years he was out on the backside of the desert herding sheep he was waiting or there's the Apostle Paul after his Damascus Road experience, his conversion to Christ. For the next seven years, he couldn't wait to be involved in ministry. But it wasn't time yet. So he was waiting. But my favorite, my favorite, it, 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 perhaps in all of Scripture, is Joseph. And I'm not talking about Joseph and Mary, the New Testament Joseph but the Old Testament Joseph. And God had at least two objectives in Old Testament Joseph's life. And His objectives for your life are not much different. He was building Joseph's character and He was testing Joseph's character. And that's the normal process God uses. He builds your character. <laughs> And then he tests it. Oh, I'm not sure I like either one of those. Building my character usually involves waiting and sometimes it involves stuff that's not comfortable. And testing my character can be even worse. And the greater God's desired use for you, the more He invests in His character-building curriculum, in trying to bring you to the place He wants you to be. And sometimes it involves pain or affliction or conflict or waiting. Because God is more interested in what He can do in you than what He can do through you. God knows if we will allow Him to do the right things in us, then He can do incredible things through us. But He's more interested in what He can do in you than what He can do through you. Look at God's approach to young Joseph, Old Testament Joseph. He removed him from a scheming father who favored him and from brothers who hated him. And he sent him to Egypt where he was immediately dropped into the slave market. 
And one of the guys looked at Joseph and thought he would be fine. He would serve my purposes. His name was Potiphar. And so he purchased him. He pulled him from the slave market. And now from a lowly slave, he becomes the manager of all of Potiphar's estate. You know why? Because God was with him. And as Joseph succeeded... God allowed another circumstance in his life. Mrs. Potiphar. Mrs. Potiphar laid eyes on young Joseph. And he's young. And he's bronze. And he's built. And he's handsome. And the Bible says that she tried to seduce him. And if you look at it in Genesis chapter 39, it says over and over. It wasn't just one time when he was passing through the hallway of the house. But it says that Joseph responded from a point of faithfulness. He declared that he would be faithful to his master, Potiphar, and to his God. His, in, his integrity never budged. It didn't change. It, it didn't shift. And so, as, as a result, this favored servant became a slave again. But have you ever wondered about Mrs. Potiphar? How do you picture her? For some of you, let me, let, me take a, let me take a run at this for several different age groups here this morning. If you're my age or older, you might have pictured her across the years as a, a young Elizabeth Taylor in the movie Cleopatra. That raven black hair, that hourglass figure, that incredible complexion, those ruby red lips, that gold tiara. Oh, enough of that. Maybe younger ones pictured her as Angelina Jolie, those puffy lips. Or Mrs. Trump. She's not bad. But what if she wasn't? What if she didn't look like that? I know I have a crazy imagination, but sometimes I wonder, maybe she wasn't all that much of a looker. Maybe this wasn't such a big temptation for Joseph after all. But Mrs. Potiphar didn't think he was so nice when he refused her. And so he became not just a manager or a servant, but he became a prisoner. He was put in prison. And so in prison, he begins to wait. And I want to suggest to you this morning some ways that he could have responded while he was there in prison. Common ways that we might respond 
when we're in the waiting room. And some of you are starting to say now, what does this have to do with me? I'll get to that. He could have responded with anger and bitterness. Because Joseph was a good man. He had proven. He was a good guy. He was a man on whom God's favor rested. And because God was with Joseph, Potiphar and his entire estate were blessed. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the coincidence, the small amount of possibility that this would happen? He comes to Egypt. He is a slave. He is picked out of the mass of slaves. He is placed in Potiphar's house. Potiphar selected him. Potiphar selected him. He didn't know what an incredible mind this guy had. But there he is. And Joseph didn't steal anything. He didn't do anything but good for Potiphar. And he has to start thinking as he's there in prison, there's no justice here. Good reason to get good and angry and bitter. And we might understand completely if we had met Joseph 50 years later and we found a bitter old man. He lived with hatred and slavery and false accusations. He is imprisoned falsely for being faithful. So he sits in the waiting room. Or he could have decided he would manipulate the situation. And you find it at the end of Genesis chapter 39. Because God is with him and because he is faithful, he's got a lot of responsibility right here in prison. People often use circumstances like that, manipulate them a little bit. For instance, he could have started talking to people. Those others in the prison, let's gossip. Let me tell you about Mrs. Potiphar if you've got just a moment. Get your story out there. Let other people know how you were wrong while you're in the waiting room because of what someone else did. See, when we're consigned to the waiting room, our human response is to do something. To look for another job, to manipulate our spouse, to move across the country, to change the situation. I can get myself out of this waiting room. But Joseph waited. And he got busy in that situation. He was busy serving. He didn't leave his character behind at Potiphar's house. He's still this faithful servant. He's still a good manager. And so he's using this waiting time in his life to do what he knows is the right thing to do. I guess a third option is he could have decided to just forsake God and his earlier dreams. Just say, forget it, God, if this is the way you're going to treat me. Different people respond differently to waiting or to pain. The person who trusts God might see affliction or waiting as times of growing. And they grow deep because they have this deep confidence in God and what He's going to be doing in their life. But there are others who view waiting like it's an attack. 
Or it's a threat to their safety and their security. And we've all been there. Listen, you are either in a waiting room right now, you have been, or you will be. And some people find their response is to trust in themselves. And then there are those who decide, we've had about enough. Did you ever get up and leave a waiting room? At the DMV? Huh? It's not so, it's not so bad up here in Teller County. Listen, come with me to Douglas County. Or El pa- I live in El Paso County. Good Lord! Go down the hill to El Paso County. Pull the little ticket off the thing that has your number on it, and it says number 39, and you're pretty happy. Until you see that they're at number 42. They passed you. You're waiting for them to come back around. Did you ever leave a doctor's office? Huh. Um, did you ever go in and you sit down and you're waiting and you've got things to do? Places to go. You've got people to see. You've got a life. And your appointment is at 3 o'clock. And about 3.20, 3.30, you decide, hey, My time's as valuable as His. And you get up and leave. (laughs) You're coming back. You're coming back. Joseph could have walked away. If you told his story to the rest of those prisoners, most of them might have said, buddy, you need to get yourself a new God. This one isn't working too well for you. And our human emotion wants to say, wait a minute. I've been a good boy. God should treat me fair. We all love the fairness doctrine. Because some preachers and some teachers will even tell you that if you do the right thing, God is automatically going to reward you. I want to tell you something different this morning. The God of the Bible is not fair. But He is good. You see, if He were fair, there's not one of us sitting in this place. There's not a person on the face of this earth who could ever hope for anything other than an eternity cut off from Him. I'm grateful that He's not fair, but He's good. And there's a determination in Him to build good into you and me. And that good is usually developed in the dark room of waiting. So Joseph is waiting where most of us have been. And how did he respond? If he didn't respond in those ways, how did he respond? Let me suggest some ways. He trusted God's character. Genesis 39, 21, which is where this story takes place, says, The Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. 
And you move down two more verses and it says, the warden paid no attention. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Listen, he's in the waiting room. Joseph believed in God. He believed in a God who is not only all-wise and all-loving, but all-powerful. The God he served did allow his servants to go into circumstances that were harsh or unpleasant. Listen, I'm not telling you God did that to you. God put you in that position. But I have to admit that God at least allowed you to be put in that position. But He also went with them and gave them grace and gave them the ability to endure it. No promise perhaps is more comforting to a suffering, waiting Christian than Hebrews 13.5. God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Or He could have responded as He did by serving others. Genesis chapter 40, verse 4 says, The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. He attended them. And the Hebrew word there, if you translate it literally, it means he ministered or he served. He's in prison. And he's serving other people. So what's my excuse? And he makes a point in verse 7, Genesis chapter 40, verse 7. You know there are places where the Bible is funny? This is one of those places. Because this is where Joseph asks those prisoners, why are your faces so sad today? Because I'm in prison. He doesn't go through this time always asking, why me? That's a natural question for any of us when we're going through this kind of a situation. What he does do is enter into this time. He engages God in these days of waiting. He senses God's presence. He doesn't drive God away or ignore Him, but he is inviting God into this season of waiting with Him. And so we come to the 105th Psalm, verse 18, where it says, They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in iron. And most of us read that verse and we think it's talking about a coming Messiah. It's not. It's talking about this Joseph. And what it's saying is that what he experienced put iron in his soul. You've got to read the 105th Psalm. When the waiting begins and the tough time comes, I want to urge you to let God, let His Word grow and let your view of God's character enlarge and never assume the worst about God. And then He remembered God's presence. Can I give you a tip here this morning? When I'm waiting, and I don't know what's out ahead of me, but I'm asking God to help me and go before me, when I'm in that situation, I have to reflect back 
on God's previous answers to prayer. To be reminded, I've been in this situation before, and this is what God did. The watchword for us when we're hurting or just waiting isn't escape. It's endurance. James chapter 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Or Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Uh, I can't read that verse without thinking of my father. You know, I grew up in the I grew up in the days of uh, I grew up in the days of discipline with a belt. <laughs> and my dad used it very well. He was kind about it. But I can't think of this, this verse. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. No, it doesn't. It says, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. If you, if you look at that in the Hebrew, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. It's talking about being chastened, being encouraged. It's not talking about God getting the belt after you or the board. He's chastening you. He's encouraging you. And it's not necessarily pleasant at the time. Hebrews 12.2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Joseph saw God's hand in what was happening. I think I was prodded to talk about this this morning because of what's happening in our church. We are in a waiting room corporately today. All of us who call this church home. We're waiting. We're waiting to see what God's going to do. We're waiting to see who our pastor is going to be. And listen, if you're visiting today, I'm not him. Don't, don't. Don't turn your back on us because I'm here. I'm not him. We're getting a good guy here somewhere down the road. So we're here waiting to make our way through the process of finding a new pastor. And many of you are wondering what that means. Here's what it means. Pastor Brian resigned. He moved away. A district superintendent comes in, meets with our board. There are six people on our board. The district superintendent sits down with them and he starts asking them to help him produce a profile of what they think this congregation would like to see in a new pastor. And so the board starts listing those things, things that they've heard from you. And they share those things with the district superintendent. The district superintendent takes all of those things and he begins to paint a picture in his mind of what he thinks the congregation wants a new pastor to be like. He goes back to his office and he looks through names of pastors that could serve here, people that he's aware that are looking to perhaps make a change from where they're serving. Or he hears names from you and any of you can give a name to the 
board. Ask them to share it with the district superintendent. Maybe you know a great person somewhere that would be the perfect fit for our church. Give that name to a church board member. They'll take it to the district superintendent. He'll look that person up. He'll ask for a resume. He'll bring that information back to the church board. The church board will look through the names that the district superintendent brings back to them. And they'll select one or two. And they'll say, let's do a Skype interview. And they'll sit in a board meeting with an iPad or a computer. And they'll interview a guy from afar or a girl. And after they've done that a while, they might, they might say as a board, you know what, that second guy that we talked to really seemed like he might fit here. And when they arrive at a candidate that they feel good about, they'll ask that candidate to come here. And there will probably be a gathering. They will interview him personally. Then there will probably be a gathering, something like this. And that candidate will stand here. And you'll be able to ask him any question you want to ask. Oh, my word. I want to tell you that's the most uncomfortable moment of a pastor's life. The the dreaded town hall meeting. I don't know who came up with that idea, but they ought to take him out in the backfield and shoot him. It's just, just an opinion. And then the congregation will have the opportunity to vote whether or not to call that person, that family, to become your next pastor. And in order to be able to vote, you must be 15 years of age or older and a member of this local church. Not a member of a Nazarene church in Colorado Springs or Denver or Albuquerque. You've got to be a member of this local church. And to become a member of this local church, you don't just come up to me and say, I want to be a member, put my name on the roll. No, we have a class. So you know what you're getting into when you decide to become a member of this local church. Can I tell you a couple things about the last couple of weeks? Two, one about me. I have dread... This is the twelfth time I've served as an interim pastor. I've dreaded this one more than any. You know why? Well, two things. One, a prophet is without honor in his own country, and this is my country. But second, is because I didn't want to have to follow Pastor Brian. You know why? Because you loved him. No one can take his place. I won't. And the next person probably won't. One of the things I get to help you with is try to do some things that that are changes. Just little changes that we will make along the way from the way Pastor Brian may have done things. Why? Because I want you to be ready for a new person that comes in here and may not do anything the way Pastor Brian did it. That's life in the church. You see, most of the, 
most of the places, not all of them, most of the places where I've served as interim pastor, the congregation was ready for the pastor to move on. That makes my job a lot easier. But not here. You weren't ready for him to go. And let me tell you something. This morning at 10 o'clock, Pastor Brian was here. His heart was here. And here's the thing about Pastor Brian that we have to figure out. He grew up here. He owned this church. You were his people because his first Sunday here, if I remember correctly, he had 27 folks. You weren't worshiping in this building. This was his church. He knew everything about this church because he grew up with you in this place. I don't have that luxury. The next guy won't have that luxury. I had to call today, or I'd talk to staff meeting and say, okay, who's going to unlock the building on Sunday? Because pastor lived across the parking lot, and he walked over here every Sunday morning, unlocked the building, turned on the lights, flushed the toilets, made sure everything was ready. You know what? That's an incredible opening for someone to volunteer and say, I'll be that person. I'll walk through and make the fur- sure the furnaces are set, the air conditioners are on, the lights are on. I'll make sure everything's ready. Great place for someone to volunteer. Pastor Brian and Sarah did so many things as part of this church that someone else is going to need to do. And it's part of maturing as a congregation. We've been happy. I have. Totally happy. Let him handle it. And it just, it's just the impression of a person from the outside looking in, thinking that most of what happened here was his vision, was his idea, was his goal, was his desire. We're a congregation. It's time for us to pick that up We let him do it because we were comfortable with him doing it, because he did it the way we liked it. Now it's time for us to pick it up and do some of it ourselves. As we're sitting in the waiting room, we have opportunity to do something besides just sit and wait. Some of you, are in a waiting room today and it has nothing to do with your church. You're waiting for a health report. You're waiting for an answer to prayer. You're waiting for God to move in some way in your life. Or maybe you're waiting to surrender your life to Jesus to begin with. But there you are. Some time ago I ran across a little poem. Pastor Jim Christie's going to laugh at me because I shared it with the old guys that I meet with Thursday mornings at uh, McDonald's some time ago. And they laughed at me there, so it's okay to laugh at me here. It's a funny little poem because to me it really isn't a poem. A poem should rhyme. There should be something about a poem that tells me it's a poem. It should rhyme. This one doesn't rhyme. It was written by a Japanese poet. Maybe that's the reason. 
And when you first hear it, you think, that's the goofiest thing I ever heard. It's just two lines long. It's ten words. The first line... The first line sets sets a mood. And the second line totally swaps that mood. Written by a Japanese poet, here's what it says. It's pretty deep, so hang on. First line, the barn burned down. Can you picture that? It's discouragement. It's despair. The barn burned down. I've lost it. I've lost everything. But the second line flips that. (laughs) Now I can see the moon. The barn burned down. Now I can see the moon. That which I thought was so important is gone But it gives me a whole different perspective. Now I see things in a different way. And some of you here this morning are going through a period in your life where you would say, the barn burned down. I don't know what you've lost. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're fretting over. But in your life, individually, you would say, the barn burned down. And as a congregation, we might say, Brian's leaving the barn burned down. And we may not be ready yet corporately over Brian's leaving to say, now I can see the moon. But the truth is, with the change of perspective and a new view of things, maybe we begin to see some things that we never saw before in your life as an individual with what you're facing, or us as a church. Let me pray with you. Father in heaven, thank you for your blessings today. Thank you for being near us today. Thank you for loving us today. Thank you for reminding us today that even when the barn burns down and we lose something that seems so important to us, if we will wait upon you, we will have a new perspective. And one day, we will be able to see that moon, that new hope, that new glory, that new direction, that new thing. Father, bless your people today and be with us now as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.
I won't keep you this long every Sunday. I just had to get you caught up in a lot of stuff today. But uh, And so, because of that, I do a shorter blessing when you leave. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Go in peace. God bless. Shit.